James, are you there? Hey, yo, what's up? Want to do a podcast? I don't know. I'm kind of busy right now. Come on, man. Can we can we reschedule? We're already here. My dog just... I'm worried my dog might do another poop on the carpet. <laughs> do you want this in the yeah, intro? <laughs> 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 hey, we we'll hey. just cut this one. So the thing is this, right? Yeah, tell me about the thing. Okay, so... You want to build software. You want to build scalable, resilient, high-quality, user-loving software. What is scalable? I don't know. Five or six users. Yeah. <laughs> you want to scale it one day, maybe. Maybe you don't. I don't know. You just want to get something working. But it costs money, right? That's no- right. Nothing's free in this world. It's all about resources. And trade-offs. Unlimited wants and limited time. That's right. On this planet. We need to do the best, build the best software that we can. Yes. So that we have to leave our legacy. Software is our legacy. Yeah. Because our children probably will be kind of not the best. Children will look at your code and be like, oh my God, I can't believe my dad wrote this. Yeah. So embarrassing, Dad. <laughs> can't believe you wrote TypeScript. I can't even show this to my friends. I know. You weren't even on Dart before it was a big thing. <laughs> can't believe you, Dad. You're the worst software engineer. <laughs> but when you want to build the software. A, a software. When you want to build a software, you've got you to use tools. Software tools. Software tools. So Maybe then you need to make tools. these decisions. And like you said to me, it's all the about trade-offs. Part of life is decisions. It's just turtles, you told me. Software turtles. I feel like you may be jumping the gun on that one. <laughs> <laughs> but yes, turtles all the way down. So it's all just software. So we need to work out at what, at what layer of abstractions is the best. For you and your team. You and the team. Really depends on the people, right? Depends on a lot of things. The experience level. Yeah what they've seen, what they've been through. The the vision for the product. The pain that they've inflicted on others and themselves. Yeah. Their that, code. Yeah, because... Their jQuery. They've, especially, I suppose, as you get more experienced, you see these patterns emerging and you think, no, I can't do that again. Yeah, because they bite you and then you're like, oh, crap. No more, thank you. That so was a very embarrassing conversation I had with my product manager. Oh, what happened? No, no, just that. Oh. That's always... <laughs> <laughs> no more, please. So we need to make these decisions, right? We want to build... The good thing. The good thing. For the customer. And there's a lot of managed services now in the day of, in the day of serverless. And software is just getting unruly, isn't it? It is so unruly. Unruly software. There's so many tools. So we need to weigh up these different tools that we have. Managed services, different layers of abstraction. Because we can Entirely just... Entirely different systems. We can just build binary trees everywhere if we wanted to, if we wanted to get that. That's yeah, right, binary trees. <laughs> <laughs> we can just put binary trees everywhere. Our, pre- that's just dis- our pre-discussion <laughs> is leaking into our <laughs> intro. <laughs> so, okay, this a is what it comes down to. A database. It's just a database. A, it's a binary tree with some blobs. Exactly. At the end of the day. But uh, I've had the, co- the conversation with some people recently about building a piece of software. And me and you have been discussing it. Should we... You know, when you're recommending how to build a piece of software, where's the right layer for, say, building certain parts of the platform compared to leveraging someone else's service, whether it be an auth service or a database service? Or, But you're quite uh, passionate about these kind of things. Yeah, I like to argue with people, <laughs> um, be disagreeable and whatever. <laughs> what am I? Dismissive. That's Dismissive, right. yeah. yeah. I've, been, I've been told that. Before. Well, I mentioned Prisma and you're like, psh. <laughs> 
Well, Prisma, I've used. I I tried to use here. Yeah, I didn't product. That I didn't know that. Now, yeah. I, so I, I tried. Uh, so at the dawn of this project, uh, I was looking for something that would remove the uh, type uncertainty from database queries. Yep. Because uh, just using the driver itself, I have to type everything coming out of it, and then I have to actually assert that it's the right type and everything. So I just wanted to skip that because I trust the database pretty much. Mm. Yeah. So did you like Prisma? You jumped in. How did you find out about Prisma? I was looking for anything that would auto-generate a set of TypeScript interfaces from oh the yeah. Postgres database. Right. Um, and I found a couple tools, one called Mammoth. I think Zapatos only came out afterwards, mm. or at least it wasn't visible. Um, yeah, Prisma was one, and then Typeform was another. Yep. I ended up I did know about Typeform. Yeah, I I think we settled on Typeform, and I pretty much went with it just because it was probably the most vanilla, it's the most boring looking one. There's nothing yep. exciting about it, and uh, pretty much anything that you want, you can opt out of. Mm. Uh, yeah, there's actually been issues with Typeform since I've started using it, and has made me my eyes start wandering away from Typeform. Oh, really? And onto Zapatos. Okay, Zapatos is another TypeScript ORM. It's not really an ORM. It's more like a query helper. Oh. So it just, it has the types, it'll generate the types for what the tables are, uh, and then you're able to just label what the type will be coming out, and then I no longer have to actually manually type every query. Okay. Right now in Typeform, the process is, and there are tools that can do this automatically, but none of them really work super well, um, because they all miss on some mark, like uh, camel versus uh, kebab casing, or whatever. Like it won't go to snake case. You have to implement that yourself if yep. you want that transformation. And I just, you know, I'm perfectly happy to just write it myself. I'm just Googling Zapatos. Yeah. Oh, zero abstraction Postgres for TypeScript. So it doesn't even, the other thing that I like about that is it, it's not even, it doesn't even care about what um, you use for your pool, for your connection pool. Mm -hmm. All it wants is a connection to a Postgres database and then it will run a query, a typed query. And the where clauses and everything are typed. It'll tell you, oh, that's a string. You know, it has to be one of these three types, that sort of thing. And it uses template string um, interpolation okay. to, to do this. So maybe something for the future, but I'm interested to know what... Uh, you gave Prisma a pretty good try. What was the reason that it didn't quite work out for this project? What? Well, let me look at this list of cons that we came up with before... <laughs> <laughs> the, the list of cons is quite long. But okay, let's talk yeah. about... Okay, you tried to implement it. Let's just talk about the... So... Let's, let's talk about how you actually used the, what you... Like what, what blocked you as you were trying to implement it. Uh, well, it's just a... It's a... It wants to handle everything. And I'm not a big fan of libraries that try to make themselves frameworks for some part of your system mm. because I really have to have control over it at mm. some point or else I'm just going to in eventually run into an edge where I can't change it. Yep. And then I have to actually submit a pull request to some some person on the internet and yeah. trust that they'll accept it or I have to fork. Yep. So there's just a danger in choosing a large framework that the framework goes in a different direction. That's a big one. There's too much abstraction. I've used Hibernate from Java. I've used Active Record in Ruby. All of these things, you end up having a very leaky abstraction by the end of it. Once performance actually matters, uh, it uh, it always goes downhill. Mm. 
because it's very easy to get started. But then once you have your nested insert, like multi-entity system, and uh, you're dealing with like what some API designer thought of 15 years ago, yep. things go south. But how do you... Uh, it obviously saves some time up front. How do you weigh up the amount of time saved up front over the long-term project? Like, Well, how much time is it really going to save? Because you don't know where the edges are going to be. Mm. So Prisma, for example, what was one of the edges that I ran up front? Uh, Lambda, for example, it runs its driver in a separate process. Mm. So it actually wants to manage the connection outside of the normal like node event loop. So that was a, a blocker for serverless. There was some special setup that you had to do. Uh. Uh, and then you didn't actually control that. And then also these highly abstracted systems. This this system in particular, like it, it's so abstract it doesn't even handle transactions. It doesn't handle uh, like different levels of, of uh, transactions, mm. which is more important than it sounds. Mm-hmm. But uh, weighing up the, the trade-off... <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I mean, the trade-off is that you don't, you're actually not able to do something. So, for example, when we started uh, with Cognito, if we're yeah. coming out of the database world, mm. uh, you had already implemented before I rolled on Cognito for auth. Mm. But then in order to actually just get a magic link login system set up, yep. you had to deploy some six different lambdas yep. with code that was literally copy-pasted from the Lambda documentation yeah. that didn't actually do what it said it did. Yeah. And with no explanation of, like, all these words are not in any documentation. No. Like, what what was actually in the code. I think it was a it blog post from, from one of the AWS employees where it says, this is how you do it. Which is what ends up happening when yeah. you use these super abstracted services. Yeah. They do the one thing really well. So if you don't think that your product will evolve past that, then it's a fantastic choice if all you're doing is an internal tool or you want a a, if all you'll ever need is social login and username password login then you're great yeah but you have to accept that there will be problems that you cannot fix yeah well i think we got blocked because with cognito you could do a standard kind of username password sign in or you could do magic link but you couldn't do both yeah which is no good like exactly like you said if it was an internal tool you could probably just tell your internal team, like, this is how we're going to do it. But being a yeah. thing that we're building a product that we want and customers then also to the magic enjoy links. using. We wouldn't have even been able to use it up to this point. The magic link system would have been too inefficient mm. because we just needed to be able to sign a link and send it with a redirect. Yep. So it needed to send somewhere somewhere within our application after that link is clicked, right? That's like, I can't even begin to imagine how I would do that <laughs> with the multi like Lambda post login, yeah. post like all of these special events. Yeah. And you have to actually learn the internals of this system that doesn't matter in yeah. the scheme of things. Cognito is not a system that matters, yeah. I don't think. Yeah. You should learn OAuth. You should learn how OAuth works because yeah. that's like a foundational sort of system mm. uh, that a lot of the web is built on. But Cognito is not a foundational system. Me learning all of the events for Cognito is a waste of my time. Really. Yeah, that was... We had to like learn all the lifecycle events for Cognito, didn't we? Like this. So we actually ended up wasting a full time. week and a half. Yeah. Trying to just get Cognito <laughs> to do something that uh, it elsewhere I would have been able to do in a couple minutes. Well, I think when you got the shit, or something. when you got the shits with Cognito, I'm pretty sure you built it in two days. Yeah, and I just finished it. Yeah, and it was fine. <laughs> you're, like the, you're like, no, I'm done. This because then after Cognito, you tried the the Google version. What's the Google one? That was called? that was bad as well. That we was tried fire. That. Was it Firebase? 
It wasn't Firebase. There was a Firebase auth system, and then they yeah. have another another separate auth system. I yeah. can't remember what the name is. Yeah. Again, not important systems no. in my mind. You know, mm. they're just I- identity management services yeah, that that's right. I, I don't want to learn the intricacies of it. And um, because they all want to say that they're peak of security, they won't even let me uh, log like perform an arbitrary login if I have administrative credentials in the account. Mm. So you know, you get into these circumstances and you, you don't think about it up front. But for example, uh, I was working on a ticket at another company where we had to migrate a whole bunch of users. Um, so use a third party uh, to uh, uh, accumulate data about them essentially. And that data had come out of sync because a cursor was missed at some point and it was about two weeks out of sync. In order to actually fetch that data, we had to do a login with SAML to this this service. Uh, and because we had used a managed, it's called Keycloak, which is a Red Hat auth service, mm. uh, there was no way without upgrading the authen- authorization server and using a beta system mm. to actually just assume into a person, mm. essentially, and just get credentials for them so I could actually just do my job. Yep. So these things always become blockers eventually. Yeah. You just don't know when. Yeah. And migrating out of one of those systems is just not possible. Yeah. Once you are in it, you are done. Yeah. <laughs> you yeah. will not implement another auth service. Yeah. It'd, be, it'd be like changing databases halfway through. Well, I remember at a, a previous company that I was at and they were trying to move from Auth0 to Cognito. And I think one of the solutions that got floated was that for some portion of time, Auth would have to run through two accounts just to get everyone migrated across. Yeah, I think uh, it's a vertical move as well. You're not really gaining much control. Well, what happened was um, or confidence. Auth zero got way too expensive. Yeah. So then every every month that it was like postponed was costing the company heaps of money, and then it's like, oh, we don't have the resources to migrate it across. And then, oh, do we like how do we do a quick fix? Yeah. It's just it's just pain. Migrating from managed service to managed service is just oh, wow. such an anti-pattern, yeah. especially when they're simple things. Yeah. If you if you need to do the whole like uh, reset password, uh, sign in link, all this additional stuff, yeah. and there's a library that just does it in the language, but you still have control over it, that's ideal. Mm. Like the Rails system. Do you know Devise? Yeah. Have you heard of that? Yeah. So Devise is like the uh, authentication system for rails if anyone doesn't know but it just uses your normal database and it stores uh you know the bcrypted password your email and basic details and it automatically gives you all the sign up links and all this stuff without it being a managed service so migrating away from that or modifying that is in your control but if you use those auth zero bot services you play yourself quite quickly if you if there's even the possibility you will need something more than a simple login it's like they target it to towards people who need the, who are, who attracted that move fast kind of mentality, where you can get and like it, it. It's attractive to think, oh, well, I can do my auth. It might take me a week you to do set move up my fast, auth. Yeah. Do, yeah, initially you move very fast. But then once you've done the first sprint, the the stuff after that is then vendor lock in hell yeah. because you're listening to events from this on their custom published subscribe system. Yep. You you are interacting with a black box from outside with no control. Mm. So, yep. And you like control. I'm a big fan of control. Yep. Yeah. And if a system if a system is so complex that you can't understand it, that would mean that you have immense attack surface. Yep. In terms of security. Mm. 
in my in my in my knowledge. The simplest system is the best system. Mm. So if all you can do is bcrypt the password and check the hash against and have one email in a table, that's fantastic. Yeah. And then postpone the registration, login, postpone all that stuff. Don't add them. Most people don't need them right away. Yeah. You're not gonna have that many users in your first days. Anyway. Yeah, that's right. So the the old stuff makes sense, but these there's I so I many of these database ones popping up now too. Like we said, I Prisma, there's Fauna DB. Yeah. Like before we go to DBs, though, yeah, tell I just me. want to point out one more thing. Yeah. Uh, this is because I am familiar with authorization and authentication mm. framework, so I'm comfortable, sort of halfway building one mm. on my own. Yep. If you do not have the, that capacity in your team, then obviously it's going to be a mistake, yeah. and you're going to be in even more trouble if you don't understand some piece of it. Yeah. So don't it don't so implement your own cryptography. The tool still has its place. Yeah. The right level abstraction for me with my level of knowledge is I'm not going to implement crypt cryptography. I'm not going to yep. touch any of the mathematics sides of it. Mm. I am still going to manage the user management because mm. that's the level of abstraction that I'm comfortable with and I feel a level of uh, speed and predictability. Mm. So. There's also moving fast uh, sorry, I'm really staying on this off topic. That's no, good. Um, we need to cover all these things off. Yeah. People want to know this information. Uh, one of the things that I was told uh, in another life was uh, that when you build a feature, the cost is what it costs later as well. So if I expect that when I ask you to build a feature, that it does not make the next feature that I ask you twice as long to implement. Mm. So these things snowball until you end up in an organization where there's so many like fingers and so many pies with so many managed services and vendors that the thing never runs. Yep. So anyway, but databases, FaunaDB. That's oh, a good point. The cost of the, it's not just the upfront cost, it's the cost over the whole time of the project. And then everyone's familiar with it as well once it's implemented. But so. the, I suppose it's the agile culture as well of uh, move fast and test fast and get fast feedback. Because well, it's just the nature of things these days. You want to test your ideas as quickly as possible and validate things and move forward. Yeah. But uh, once you've done it once in an organization, that's it. Mm. You should be able to just use that from then on. Just copy that Terraform c uh, code yeah, exactly. straight across. There's, there's a cost of understanding something in the beginning. But once that knowledge is encoded, in, once it's in code and there's a test against it, yeah. that means that it's, that's just like, that's an asset to the company yeah. from then on. That's true. Especially if you're doing uh, microservices and you need to start setting all these different uh, little platforms up. Well, let's not talk about microservices. No, that's we a, like mono, that's another mono lambdas. <laughs> any 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 microservice talk is banned <laughs> <laughs> for the next episode. <laughs> oh, you you uh, you kind of floated the idea that it might be a, a microservice coming up for our platform. Maybe. Are you talking about the server? Yeah. Oh, no, that's not... It's. It wouldn't even be... I wouldn't consider it a microservice because mm. it would still be the same code executing on a different runtime environment. Oh, okay. I'm, yeah, there, there are distinctions. Okay. But anyway. But anyway, to the... To I the can talk about this for hours, so don't start me. <laughs> to the database point, there's so many of these uh, new database, managed database services coming out, not only Prisma, FaunaDB, and they promise so much. What's the other ones? They do. Uh... Fauna, Prisma, Fauna, Prisma, Neo4j is this picking up traction in the in the system uh, system architect world. There's a new uh, there's a new graph database come out, Neo4j Killer apparently. Oh, it's called the Killer. I don't know. If it's uh, <laughs> right, 
the killer database. That sounds pretty good. It's a little bit different, but uh, yeah, how there's so many of these different managed services coming out, and they've all got their own layer of abstraction over the top. So then you end up learning these uh, the way these managed services work. Yeah. Whether it's like like I looked at FaunaDB before the podcast, it's got its own query language, FQL. Yeah. So then Cassandra has CQL. Yeah. Which is SQL, but like not good. <laughs> and when I say not good, I mean it does exactly what it should do if you're using Cassandra, but it is like, it is limiting. They uh, probably stick with the QL, like make sure you put QL in the acronym just to give people a, a sense of safety. Sense of safety. Yeah. Oh, it'll be as good as SQL. Well, I know SQL, so I should be able to learn <laughs> I mean, CQL. It's just, a, it's just a different, it's just one letter change I mean, on there's the no joins in this language, but that's fine. <laughs> totally the same thing. <laughs> so what did you like about Prisma then? Anything? Uh, obviously, the ability to... I like code generation when it is part of the build pipeline. Yeah. I love code generation. Um, the Yeah, that, that's about it. All I wanted was my TypeScript interfaces. Other than that, they the the whole system... I'm going into cons again. I can't stay on pros. I'm not a positive person. Well, hold on. The, yeah. the, the other thing you told me was you don't need to know SQL might be a bit of a positive. Okay, yeah. Okay, so look, I'm coming at this from the point of view of I'm the one maintaining it yep. right i'm the one building it and then i expect someone around my skill level will probably have to be on staff because mm. there's infrastructure we have a secure system right mm. we handle very sensitive information so you can't really just you know you have to go into it with a decent amount of knowledge yep. so given that constraint i'm not really thinking oh if we hire a junior will they you know will this be the easiest thing for them to deliver 32 features in, in a month? Yeah. I'm just thinking, because it's easy to learn SQL mm. relatively. Um, if you really don't want to learn SQL at all and don't know that it's there, then I guess it sort of works for a little bit mm. up until you need transactions and you need to understand why your data model's breaking. Mm. But these are like toy apps again. Yeah. They're not, it's not beneficial, I don't think. You're just forestalling it because you're going to end up there anyway. So come up with a system that works for you for delivering features without that. One of the features on their website says you don't need to do migrations, but you said that's fake news. You always need migrations. Mm. That's not possible. Um, but maybe they just handle them in a different way. No, they do. They, they definitely fake news. Oh, okay. It's not possible. All of these things that say you no longer have to do this, most of the things that we do in software aren't cargo culting. We're actually, there's a they reason. What? Cargo culting. What's that? Uh, I don't remember the origin exactly. Essentially, there was like uh, there's a it's a software <laughs> uh, turn of phrase. Yeah, but it's like um, you do something because you see other people doing it, and it like oh, okay. there's some result that comes from it. Yep. So it comes from apparently there was this plane that like flew over and would drop supplies, mm. and they uh, in some remote part of the world. Mm. So they would drop the supplies, and then the person would um, the the people down below would see the plane, see the cargo, and they thought it was a god. So they would worship the, uh -huh. the plane and <laughs> it was a cargo cult, essentially, yeah, okay, gotcha. is my gotcha. understanding of it. Yeah. But what I mean is like, it's not like we do, it's not like we have these principles for no reason. Yeah. Like, There's no shortcuts in software. People have been making shortcuts as long as we've existed, mm. but not a lot of them have had much traction. Yeah. All these languages, these software languages that said, oh, they're going to let the business user implement their own software. Like news doesn't end up working really well. <laughs> I implore you to keep going with it, but uh, yeah, I'm not seeing much traction. 
Yeah, it's all about the implementation, isn't it? Any any tool you can get any tool to work, but it's how you implement it. Yeah, and how it's going to work for you in the long run. And uh, if you do hit that successful phase, will you be able to continue growing? I've so I'm I've been burned by this probably more than most people I know because I've been in a startup that actually crashed and burned so hard because of poor technology choices mm. that were hypey choices. Mm. Um, you know, GraphQL and mm. all these systems moving on to a new cloud provider. Yep. Cutting edge. Yep. The cutting edge cuts you very deep yeah. as well. Yep. So I've just, I, I've learned to become very cautious of these systems that promise to do everything mm. uh, that are like under a year old for sure. Yeah. And Prisma is just now version two. Like it's not, it's not an ancient software piece. GraphQL is still relatively new. People are learning how to use that. And I believe Prisma uses a GraphQL-ish schema uh, okay. and it, it treats it as like mutations and that sort of stuff. Sure. So, so you don't need, if you're going to use something like Prisma, then you don't need an ORM? Prisma is the ORM. Prisma is the, its own ORM. So it's like a, it's a combination of the ORM and the managed service. And well, it's not a managed service. You've pointed at a database. Yeah. But they okay, they so set the database up for you. What? Do they? Or maybe they do have a managed service, yeah. but Prisma JS, the the library that I implemented with, yep. there is a command line tool. You give it a database URL, you point it at your database, it will generate a schema, a GraphQL-ish looking schema, but in their own language. Yep. Um, and then you reference that in your code to actually generate the SQL. Like, a, have, have you used Relay or no, uh, Apollo? Anything? Yeah, I've used Apollo. Those things that do like a, a pre-processing step before deploy, yep. it'll do something like that for your your queries. Yeah. So it's 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 a like a migration and you know query query engine and everything. It wants to literally manage the database. You're saying so. You were telling me before about the multiple queries as well, like simple statements. You need to do multiple queries for simple yeah. states. So if you understand your like you need to understand sort of what's happening when you there's there's all sorts of bugs that creep in when you don't understand SQL and you try and solve that in outside of where the data is stored. Mm -hmm. So for example, there was this common problem that a lot of Rails applications had because uh, you'd say like uh, validates uniqueness of email, mm -hmm. and what that does is outside of Postgres, Rails would say check if there's an email that matches this one and then insert a new user, and then what would end up happening is because it's done that query and then it's inserted a user, if that user double clicks that button super fast, they're going to have two users inserted into the database oh. because you're validating and checking things inside of the software level sure. instead of actually making constraints inside of the database. Gotcha. So what Prisma does is sort of the same thing where it does like, <coughs> it wants to do a select, then it wants to do an update and then it wants to do another select. It doesn't even optimize from from when I used the library, and it's definitely changed a little bit. Transaction support looks like it's better than it was, mm. um, but yeah, it's just not. It, it it you pay a lot in terms of performance for your end user. Uh, These kind of things bite you bad. Yeah, like you don't would, realize that would be a big like problem to uncover unknowingly. Yeah, and then on top of that, it's also a performance issue. Mm. It's a performance issue that you don't realize you have until you're very deep into the system. You would like. You wouldn't even realize that these this stuff is happening until you've like implemented yeah. most of your system. Then you go, oh wow, this. And actually then you get an endpoint, and you're yeah. like, oh my god, this is like a what's this three thousand milliseconds? That's a bit yeah. long for this. Get user call. <laughs> yeah. But then at that point in the project, like, what do you do? 
It'd be pretty. You'd have to rip it out, and I've done that before. Oh, I've done a lot of ripping out. <laughs> Most of my career is ripping out old <laughs> systems. So I try not. I try. Or sorry, not old systems, but cutting into edge technology. I am. I'm like. Did you actually do like. Yeah. Tell me about that one. Which one? So well, I cut out Cassandra. Oh, Cassandra. Postgres. Yeah, that's, that's right. That's probably the biggest one I've done. That's that's a massive ordeal. That's a a full bank moved from one database to another. Yeah, that's huge. Imagine that. How'd you migrate all the data across? Uh, dual reads, dual writes, uh, an RPC service that had to wrap over the top. It was very expensive. Mm. Uh, it was a very expensive migration. Mm. And it was all because of choosing cutting edge and air quotes scalable technology from yeah. the get-go. How many people are in Australia? 25 million or something like that. 25 million. Mm. It's not that many. If you assume that your product's going to hit like, you know, 50% of them, yep. you're still going to be fine, mm. e- e- even if they're all on there every day mm. using a simple uh, database engine. Yep. Yeah. We don't really have many issues of scale in Australia, but the companies in software seem to want to address them. Yeah. Maybe it's just the nature of uh, software development. You're not always pushing for that, you know, bleeding edge technology. You feel like you're left behind. Where's your resume? Yeah. Your resume doesn't look so good. It right? doesn't, yeah. Yep. You know, if you've been using these, these boring vanilla kind of technologies and, the, you know, you've build, been building great software but nothing kind of... Yeah. Well, look, at if you look at all the recruiters, a heap of them say GraphQL, like everyone wants GraphQL. Yeah. Like well, because a lot of people why? have hopped onto the bandwagon. Yeah. It's like How many companies are actually doing like a mobile app, a uh, uh, web app, and a watch app. Yeah, that's And they'll right. actually need different consumers. Yeah. Yeah. Not many. Not many. How many of them actually have multiple backends and are trying to consolidate them into one front end? Probably not many. Not many. Not many. However, every <laughs> ad, every single ad out there says GraphQL experience. It's so funny, isn't so. it? So. Yeah, the more, I, the more I get into, like, what we've been doing and, and just keeping things simple, the more I appreciate simple systems because you don't get blocked anywhere. And if something does come up, which is a little bit outside the, the scope of work, it's never a really, there's nothing that where you think, oh, wow, this is going to be a problem for me. Do you know where we get blocked? It's not in the, it's not in the software area. It's in the product area, which is the best place to be blocked because yep. it means you're learning more about your products yep. and you're learning more about your customer. Mm. You don't really want to have to like tell your customer like, Oh, that's not really going to be possible because we yeah. went with this other authorization <laughs> system. <laughs> It'll cost us like, let me check that, $150,000 over three years to migrate. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Very awkward position to be in. Exactly. Yeah. Yep. So that's another cost to ha- having the managed services. You lose that flexibility. You lose yeah. the abis- ability to pivot and, and move fast. And that's right. Old technology, boring technology that you can learn once and you'll know for the rest of your life. Mm. B-trees aren't really changing. The binary tree is always going to be top dog. Mm. Everyone's going to store data in a binary tree. The only thing that's really happened with a lot of these databases is just that, you know, you make it easier to use them. Maybe there's a different syntax or you make sharding easier. And sharding is really just we have a B tree, but there's a different B tree on each machine Mm. and uh, they both have different data in them. Mm. That's that's pretty much the end of it. You have some sort of hashing algorithm that tells you which machine to go to and then you use the same B tree to look at the same types of blobs and... Yeah, end of the day. It's nothing it'd special. It'd be nice to get some numbers on these um, services like FaunaDB and Prisma and see who the average 
customer is, like their average customer. Like I think what it'd be kind people who are relatively new to software. Yeah. Remember, our industry doubles in size every year almost. Yeah. So. And there's probably... If you don't want to, like, I imagine you can empathize with it where yeah. you've just started and you just want something simple. Yeah. Probably just chuck in Fauna. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Oh, I, I it read says that it does everything. I read the docs now and I'm like, oh, this looks good. It Even does look still good. Now, like I, I read it and I'm excited as well. Yeah. But I'm not going to use it for another five years. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's right. Because it's just too risky. If you put that in somewhere and there ends up being some vulnerability or there's some edge case that it just doesn't handle and no one's discovered it yet, mm. you don't want to be the first person to file that GitHub issue. Yeah. Because people don't hire us as software engineers or buy our products because we're using cool technology. They yeah. hire it because they want a problem solved. Yeah, that's right. So. Yeah. But um, I'll definitely want to give it a try, but that's the For other sure. thing. I don't know until I try these I play these all the time. Mm. Like, well, I think I think we both do. We both, you made a game a few weeks ago. Yeah, that was good. I, I, I tried to use another, uh, what did I try to use? I tried to use another graph database. I can't remember what it was called two weeks ago. And then, you know, just explore and be aware of what's out there mm. and, you know, try it out, see what the issues are. If you just make a toy app with it, at least, yep. before you try and implement it in, into production mm. in your favorite startup, <laughs> then you might have a better time. Yeah. So. But do you think the people who, uh, who are making these decisions evaluate the product like that? No. It's, it's mostly... It, uh, I've been in a lot of these uh, decision-making meetings, and it really just comes down to the person knows what they want to implement. Uh, they come up with, a, and I've done it myself actually quite a bit. I already know when I go into a meeting with the product manager, the CTO, or the architect what it is that I want to implement, and I'm pretty much going to come out of the room with what I went in with because I have the pros and cons list of what I wanted. So, yeah, you know, if I want you know the cool new at. technology, I'm going to tell them that's what I'm doing, essentially, yeah. one way or another. Well, they probably aren't in a position to argue with it really with you anyway. Yeah, as long as you build, that's for the best. Like they should trust us. Yeah. Uh, we're the people closest to the problem, but yeah, yeah. As long as you have, uh, well, I suppose that's the other, um, you know, trait that a good engineer would have to understand that they might not know the answer to every single problem, but being able to solve it, I suppose. You know, yeah. If you're presented with a, a problem that needs to be solved, look, being able to look at all the solutions as unbiased as possible. And work out what's going to be the best way to, to solve that problem. Yeah. I don't think a tradie, like, I don't, I don't feel like they come in with, like, a brand new different set of brushes each time. Mm. Like, I'm going to try this one and this probably isn't a good example. Maybe, no, like, I think a carpenter. No, I right? think it's a great example. Yeah. Because I was thinking about this the other day because um, say you get an electrician to start uh, wiring up a building and then they leave the job halfway through. There's not many electricians who want to come in and finish off that work. Really? Yeah, because oh. because the, like everyone's got their own style. Oh. So I feel like it's the same as the database. Like if you start off with Fauna DB and then you leave, there's going to be a lot of developers who are like, oh, Fauna DB, I don't know if I actually want to touch that. Yeah. But if you put Postgres in, you know, there's probably... There's definitely a lot of people who don't want to touch it as well just because they don't know it. Yeah. Right. Yeah. But I think it'd be easier to find someone to work on for sure. Postgres. It's like an ancient technology. Yeah. You'll find all the best developers. Yeah. And they're all being discriminated against because they're too old. <laughs> <laughs> so. 
I'll, yeah, take, all, I'll take all the 50 plus developers. They that, can, that's they can get me. Yeah, well, they've, they would have seen a lot of stuff over the years. Yeah. But maybe it was a different approach to programming in the early days as well. This comes back to what we were talking about in the last couple of podcasts where you have the, uh, you know, between your releases, there's going to be a long a long time. So you better make sure that code's good when you send it out on the CD-ROM or floppy disk or whatever That's it's true, going yeah. out on. Yeah, yeah. Where, if it, where it's now, it's like, just put four in a DB and it doesn't work. We'll swap it out next week with something else. Yeah, yeah, that's true. There's a lot of flexibility. You read a lot of blog posts about companies changing technology, but yeah. A lot of times it's from scalable solution down to boring solution, though, I feel, most mm. of the time. You know, you read a lot about like, oh, we're moving from Kafka to SNS SQS. Not a lot to SNS SQS to Kafka. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. There's not many people that feel the need to migrate that direction, which is strange, right? Because you would think that would be the logical direction, which is going from the lightweight, you know, screwdriver to the electric drill. Yeah. So. But maybe having all these different tools makes the whole ecosystem as a whole better. Like It does make it better. Because the everyone's attacking this, you know, what's a database that just saves data? Who's attacking it? I'm the only one who's attacking it. <laughs> no, I'm saying, but everyone's attacking the problem. From oh, a right, different yeah. perspective. No, that's absolutely beneficial and it's incredibly important. Because maybe there'll be things that get picked up. Oh, because I was... But who I am I? No, because this is the... Th- I make products. <laughs> <laughs> I was asking you, because um, these newer DBs always push the um, the fact that they're real-time DBs. Like, you can get the data in real time. And then I was asking you before the podcast, I'm like, can you get... Could you make, like, Postgres real-time? And you were telling me, yeah, Postgres does that. And I'm like, oh, well, I don't even know that. Well, that's... Say, if you say they have a real-time database, what yeah. does that mean? Yeah. Right? That's the, yeah, that's that's the biggest question, yeah. is what is a real-time database? Yeah. For something like Firebase, it means yeah. that there is actually, like, uh, they have their own web service that you connect to, and it is not the database. Yeah. You're not actually connecting to the database. They would never let you do that, mm. for one. Um, and then it will sort of it has its own like client library like yep. for the front end maybe yes for the back end that, that handles that syncing yeah right but if we're looking at okay what's actually happening behind the hood mm. uh there's some insert event and then when that insert happens there's probably a connection idea somewhere mm. something somewhere if it's a you know if it's a microservice system mm. and then they just do a publish in in raw software yeah there's nothing special really there's nothing magical it's turtles all the way down it's just software yep. Yep. I, it's not like you know, Going their back to the bee trees. <laughs> the bee tree, their bee trees aren't that special. Yeah. They might have some like diffing algorithm that helps them somehow, yeah. which is beneficial. But uh, there's uh, most of these problems in the early days before you try and you know implement a, a real time database. Air quotes. You could just you know I- add a WebSocket layer. You'll probably get more use out of your WebSocket layer mm. if you're doing that, and then do a publish to that when you do an insert. That's that's the simplest solution. But um, you know, people don't realize a lot of these old tools have been around so long they have they're like uh, Swiss army knives. They do everything. Yep. Mm. And they do them all really well as well. Postgres has a very scalable uh publish subscribe system, which I don't think I've ever seen anyone other than myself use. Mm. And it is Why is that? Why don't people use it? I don't think um I don't know. I, I it, it it is used. It is used by things like audit trails. Okay. So you can, in Postgres, there's a command called listen and a command called notify. Yep. You name the channel, and then you can listen to that channel in a process. It'll open that connection and then subscribe to it. 
and then anywhere you can set a trigger. Do you know a database trigger? No. Have you heard of that? No. So, uh, yeah, there's so much in, in databases. Databases can do your whole application for you if you really want. <laughs> and uh, it's not bad because it's very efficient. Yeah. Um, there's a trigger which means that you can say on create, on update, on delete, yeah. right? Do something. Mm. And so you can say on update, do notify, mm. and then notify and send the whole row as JSON yeah. onto a system. Okay. And so if you were building, I think you asked me before, like a chat application, yeah. you could do a on insert, do notify, mm. and have an entirely different microservice actually do the publish to that WebSocket yeah. uh, endpoint. Gotcha. Right. Yeah. But it does mean that you have to have a running service. So mm. are a lot of people going to be using that because they people are going to think, oh, I need something scalable. I need something that I can like shard and, you know, manage on 16 different machines. But in reality, you know, you can handle like 100,000 notifications per second yeah. with uh, this system and then fan out from there. Mm. Anyway. I suppose one other thing is that the likes of your Firebase is cheaper. Postgres is it to run? I think. Fi well, How's it cheaper? Well, it's free. Firebase is free. Nothing's up to free. a certain point. Nothing's free. I don't know when. I don't know when the actual pricing kicks in. But Postgres. What's the cheapest way you could run a Postgres database? Like the way we're doing it now, I suppose. No, serverless AWS is the cheapest, sort of. Is it? Uh, you. Do we have, do we have that in our region? No, it's coming. Yeah. Allegedly. You know how AWS does. They don't really finish features yeah. very quickly. Yeah. 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 Uh, they have to like manually ship the computers over here with the software installed <laughs> on them to get them into our region. Yeah. So, so what's the... We don't pay that much. How, how much do we pay? $30? No, but it's still... Maybe. I think it's $30. It's actually free. It's free in both accounts. But maybe for people who are doing... Um, because we have such a lightweight application and our queries are so lightweight. I, I, I actually upgraded the, the one in Prod just for... So I stopped getting alerts because the memory is relatively low. I don't want to actually run into a connection error. Mm. But uh, if you actually manage your connections a little bit better, you can make these very lightweight Postgres instances scale for a long time. Full gig of RAM is plenty. That's heaps. Yeah. And that's free. That's free money. You've got to get that free money. Yeah. You've got to keep the runway as long as we can. Yeah, get some... Uh, AWS credits while we're at it. Yeah, we got a few. Yeah. So that's databases then. That uh, is databases. So I can talk about databases forever. So you heard about it here first. Get your... Uh, don't don't buy anything. Just build everything yourself. No, no, that's not true. Nah. Build what you're comfortable with. Use the right tools for the job. That's right. And think it depends on who's on your team. Yeah. I mean, if... That's pretty. That's what it comes down to. Is that it? Who's on your team? Is that it? <laughs> what are you doing? Is that it? Is what it? Yeah, do it. Oh. Thanks for that. Anytime. Just lowering <laughs> the volume a bit. Get excited it always scares me on the on. podcast when the music comes on. Yeah, it's a, it's a sad time, the outro music, but we do have another one coming up soon. Yeah, in about 10 minutes. Yeah, we're, we're doing the next do, one. Right. I'm assuming he's downstairs. <laughs> <laughs> well, the thing is, well, we're going to release on Wednesday. Every Wednesday, Every that's Wednesday, right. Every Wednesday, there's an episode coming out. Yep. So stay tuned. Hop on our Twitter, at Unruly Software. Do we have a Twitter? We now? have a Twitter. My oh, dude. did you start one? Yeah, ages ago, when oh. we first started. Don't get a deep platform. You can get on the Discord. What? 
How would we get the platform? I'm very reasonable. I'm just very. I'm only angry at software. <laughs> yeah. This gosh dang unruly software. <laughs> All right, lovely. Plug something, Frank. Yeah, we got the Discord server. Check out Frank's LinkedIn. Check out um, zapworkflows.com.au. Oh, shit. Don't do that. <laughs> okay, don't. Goodbye.